we've gone through Galatians 1, 2, and 3. Um, I'm going to teach four. I know that's really shocking when you go into an order. Um, however, I am a little bit different because I know that I'm wordy. And I chase rabbits and I sometimes do things that are really bad considering I was a communication major. That's really neither here nor there. But um, I am going to do most of chapter four and then kind of summarize the last little portion of it um, instead of going completely verse by verse um, just so that we can kind of stay at least relatively close to our schedule um, for today so that we can let our moms take care of babies and whatnot. That needs to happen there. And uh, so um, before we get started, I want to go ahead and pray and um, just ask God to be with us while we study his word today. Um, Heavenly Father God, just thank you so much for today and um, just thank you for giving us um, the message in Galatians that you gave to Paul that um, just still strikes right at home with us um, today as we uh, just struggle with um, continually trying to go back into the things that the world tells us we're supposed to do good things instead of just understanding that um, you've already done everything that needs to be done. And uh, I just ask that you would um, open our hearts to hear from you, um, that your spirit would just continue to stay in this place as we study in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to continue on. Um, and it's kind of fun because um, Brett even used some similar examples to some of the things that I will be talking about. And I always think it's really cool how God does um, those types of things. And it is kind of easy to do when you're studying in the same book. And uh, th there's a theme to the book, as there is with Galatians, um, leaning, pointing us towards grace um, and uh, not works. And I think that that's, um, that's a pretty, pretty neat thing. Anyway, we're going to start um, off with verse 1. And it says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Um, so what has happened here is, is that <clears throat> a lot of you have children. And um, we know that with, with kids, you have to set rules and boundaries. And you have to do things to teach them um, so that as they grow and get older, you can release them <laughs> from, from those rules and those regulations that you have. And you wouldn't be a very good parent if you didn't do those things. And um, as Britt was talking about, it's like the, the schoolmaster that, that takes you to the school so that you can learn. That's like the law. That's what the, the law was set up for, was to kind of establish those things for us. Um, and as parents, you have, at some point, you have to release your kids from those things. And that time is says here set by the father, and that's really a cultural thing. Um, it is still set... Um, by our fathers in our lives, too, to a certain extent. Um, you know, you feel like an adult when your dad or your mom tells you you're an adult, and that's kind of a, a, a milestone moment in our lives. Well, <clears throat> God did that when he sent his son Jesus um, to earth to ultimately die for us. 
and um, set us free, redeem us from the law. And what is really interesting is that this whole idea of being adopted into the family of God, um, as I was reading through Wearsby, he was talking about how the idea of adoption in the New Testament brings forth the idea of being adopted as an adult son, not as a child like we think of an adoption. We think of adopting a cute little baby and you raise it up the way you want it to go. But <laughs> the reality is we're, we're adopted as adults. So while we may be spiritual babies and we may need spiritual milk to survive and may need to be taught the basics, basic things, we have full access to the estate of God. And um, we're not under the law learning those things. God has already set that time aside and said, you are an adult. You have full access to my kingdom. You have full access to me. And um, <laughs> I think that is a really cool idea and a really cool principle and something that is um, very interesting to grab a hold of, that God wants more from us. He wants a relationship with us. And it's not about um, the rules that he's established for us to follow but it's about that we have access to him and access to the riches that he has for us, the promises that he has for us. And uh, the idea of that was really, um, really kind of struck home with me because um, we are redeemed. We are redeemed because we are his children, because he did the work for us, not because we have to. And we are redeemed um, to, to be able to take full access into um, his kingdom. And I think that that's amazing that we've been offered that at all because... Even one sin, even one mild thing in our lives that we consider not even a big deal, it's a big deal to God because it goes against him and is a sin against him. And uh, it just shows our corrupt nature that we can justify that it really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, so I think that, that that was the first thing that really struck me when studying this. And we're going to continue on and, and kind of into the section that I'll probably um, camp out in for a while. It's um, um, 8 through 11, it says... Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that some, somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And that last verse really kind of hits me in the face because that's got to be that moment for Paul when he's like, oh, I hate that I have to have this conversation with you guys because have I wasted my time? Why are you going backwards when you need to be go going forward in your relationship with God? But before that, it talks about um, going back, stepping back into essentially slavery. And um, Britt was telling the story of the the um, girls at Teen Challenge and, and how they, so many of them stepped essentially right back into slavery in their lives. Um, my experience, very similar. Um, <clears throat> however, I'm not really sure that people left prison feeling like they were, had it all together. But <laughs> nonetheless, I worked in a prison for a year and a half, and um, it was always kind of a fun experience when uh, inmates were getting close to the end of their time at the prison because they would get really excited, kind of like little kids. Um, they, would, they would come up to you and, and say, I only got two months left, Betsy. And, and you're like, that's great. What are you going to do? And so they would spell out their plans on um, how they're going to go back to school or 
how this time they're going to do the right thing. They're going to make the right choices. They're going to surround themselves with better people. They're not going to do the same things they did before. And it would continue. Then it would get to a month left. And Betsy, you only have a month left. Oh, that's great. You know, have you already figured out, um, you figured out where you're going to stay? You've got, yeah, my mom's letting me back in her house. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to be taken care of there. I've got my parole officer already figured out. All these things established. Then it would get to, Betsy, I have 10 days and a wake-up left, which the wake-up thing, it always cracked me up. That's what they always said. And uh, I would be like, okay, well, that's exciting. Um, and then it would get to time for them to leave. And uh, they would leave, and they would have that freedom that they were so craving. And that's the same freedom that we have, that we aren't bound to the law, we aren't bound to sin, we aren't bound to guilt and those things anymore. We are instead given freedom in Christ Jesus. These inmates, um, one of the big words in corrections is recidivism. That's when they come back. And (laughs) the rate is very high. I mean, the recidivism rate is incredibly just ridiculously high. Um, I don't even know what it is anymore. The, you know, it's like 80%, 90% people that go, like our revolving door, just go right back. And so that same inmate that was so excited to be leaving prison, six weeks later, you'd see him in the receiving and orientation coming right back through. And because I am the way that I am, <laughs> I would say, what happened? Why are you here? And uh, they you know, would usually have some sort of story about how life isn't fair or something along those lines. But the reality is, they made a choice. They made a choice to go back into that slavery. They made a choice knowing that the actions that they were taking would put them right back into slavery. And that's what we do. We do it all the time. We have a comfort zone. We have a place where we feel comfortable. And those inmates, they felt comfortable in prison, Probably because there's structure, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening there that don't happen on the outside. And when they get out, they go back into the same environment they had always gone to and, you know, the thing of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results. Well, that's the lifestyle that they led. But the thing is, we don't have to do that. We have that freedom. We have eternal freedom. We don't have to keep stepping back into slavery. Um, The thing that I thought of the most when I was um, reading through this, I was thinking, the Bible's just so full of times of people going back into bondage. I mean, the whole book of Judges is the whole cycle of the Israelites just sending themselves right back into sin, asking for forgiveness, and it's just all back and over again, Redeemer coming, etc., etc. But the one that really got me the most, the one that really fits in with this, is in Numbers chapter 14. So if you guys want to turn with me there. And, uh, this isn't very long after um, our Israelites were <clears throat> released from Egypt. And I don't know if you guys know this. Some of you do, some of you don't. Egypt is a picture of the world um, for us today. It's a, it's a physical example of a spiritual truth of the world today. And the um, Israelites were saved by a miracle of God. They were released from Egypt by a miracle of God. He that's where the Passover comes from. They escaped. Um, you had the parting of the sea. The whole army that was chasing them was wiped out and just like that. They get right to the foot of their promised land. They're standing 
basically ready to just go in. God's saying, it's yours, go take it. But because we tend to be scared people, they instead sent spies in. And when they sent the spies in, well, they sent 12 people to go check out and see what's going on. And so they went in. And uh, when they came back, you guys know this story, I'm sure, 10 of them were like, whoa, it's scary there. There's big people. There's no way we'll win. We should not do this. And there were two that were like, hey, no, God's on our side. Let's go. But, you know, when it's two against 10, the 10 won out, and they convinced everybody that, no, we shouldn't go. This is scary. And then what they went ahead to say, if you start um, in verse 1, it says, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader to go back to Egypt. The place they're wanting to go back to is a place of slavery, literal slavery, not, not um, in any type of spiritual sense. They were literally enslaved. They were put to hard work. They were abused, beaten. They were not treated well. And that's where they would rather go than to step into the promises of God because it was hard. And sometimes, being a Christian... Things can be a little bit hard. And when things get hard in our lives is when our true nature comes out. It's when we make, have to make that choice. Are we choosing to stay in the freedom of God and seek Him first? Or are we going to fall back into the things of this world that make us maybe feel a little bit better? Um, I was thinking about it, and you know, most of us aren't like inmates. We're not out killing people or selling drugs or doing all those types of things, of the experiences that, those, that they had. So maybe that's a bit extreme for us. But in our lives, most of us have a sin of busyness, a sin of creating a huge full plate. Especially as women, we like to like heap stuff onto our plate and like like see how much we can do all at once and kind of it's a a game and and almost you have a competition of well here's my to-do list yeah well here's my to-do list it's longer than yours like we have this whole thing going on and it's kind of funny but it's it's really very true in our lives and what happens is those of us that are christians we know you know we're really busy but we really need to get god in our lives so what we're going to do is we're going to put God on our checklist. We're going to put our, our Bible study. And it's funny because to a certain extent the church has created this mold because at the church I grew up in, you could actually get your, uh, your envelope for tithing purposes. And it had on there, brought my Bible, check. <laughs> Invited a friend to church, check. Read my Bible daily, Check. And you could just check off the things that made you feel good about yourself. Look how good I am. And it's even better because you can look at the list and you can see your friends. And you can say, they didn't read their Bible every day. I did. <laughs> look at me. I'm kind of a rock star. And so then what happens, as um, Britt was talking about and 
Matthew that unless you have the righteousness of the Pharisees, we become the Pharisees. And we feel really good about ourselves. Like, <laughs> look how good we are. And all of the little people that don't know God as well as I do, they're not doing these things. But then something happens in our lives. And maybe we get really busy. And one day we can't read our Bible. Oh, then there's a little bit of guilt seeps in. And maybe we're not really nice to our coworker. A little bit more guilt seeps in. And then, next thing we know, like even going to church feels a little bit hard because there's so much guilt in our lives because we're not doing the things on the law that we have created, the list that we have created of the things that we have to do to meet our righteous requirements so that God will love us. But the thing is, this is exactly what Paul's saying. Why are you stepping back into that? That's not what God wants from us. God doesn't want us to be standing in, in the law again because he freed us from that. He sent Jesus to say, you know what? Let's, let's break this way. He didn't send, God didn't redeem us so that he could become our slave master. He didn't redeem us so that ultimately we can do everything that God says without any choice. He redeemed us because he loved us and he wanted to be our father. And that is the relationship he's seeking with us. And so when we are trying to do things because we feel like we have to, we're not doing them for the right reasons. We're doing them to try to earn God's love. But the thing is, we already have God's love. He, he gave it to us. So if our service, if our acts of service are because we have to do them or we feel guilty like we're not doing enough or like Britt was saying, we all feel like we have to be doers. If we're not doing enough, then somehow God, we're not really earning what God has done for us. Then that's not for the right reasons. We're doing things wrong. But the reason why we should read our Bible and the reason we should pray and um, talk to people about Jesus and the reason that we should do all of those things is not so we can feel good about ourselves. It's because we love our Father so much. It's because that, that love that he has lavished on us is so great that we can't help but pour it into the people around us. And we can't help to, but to just want to know him more and spend time in his word because we want to know him more, not because we have to know him more, because God says, I will send you straight to hell if you don't read your Bible every day for at least 35 minutes and then pray for another hour and a half. And, then, and if you don't talk to at least 12 people in your sphere of influence that you know, if you don't talk to them about me, then that's it. I'm done with you. That's not what God is, and that's not how you would be to your children. So why we put God into that box? I don't know, but we tend to put him there and put him in that box. Well, I know why we do it, because it's what we understand. That's how we are. We want people to fit. We, you know, we love certain people to a certain extent unconditionally, but only to a certain extent. It's really hard for us to truly love someone completely unconditionally, no matter what they do to us or what happens. So we can't completely understand God's love in that way because we want people to fit into the box of you do this for me, I do this for you, and, 
everything makes sense again. But that's not how God works. Um, so what's fun is Paul then goes into, he's been kind of rebuking the Galatians pretty hard for a while in this, this book. And he kind of goes into, like, a little, he turns fatherly because he thinks of them as his spiritual children. And he turns a little bit fatherly here. I think he's reached kind of an exasperation point. So if we look at um, the next section, um, starting in verse 12, it says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? (laughs) I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could, could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. So Paul goes into this long discussion, to this section about, oh, I just don't, I don't understand. At one point, You guys were willing to do anything for me as I preached Christ to you. You guys treated me as if I were Christ coming to you himself. You guys were so kind to me that you were willing to rip out your own eyes to help me. Um, And that's that's saying a lot. If, If someone can say they're willing to give up their eyes for you, to give up themselves for you, that's that's a pretty big statement. And Paul's like, that's where you guys were. And you guys were full of joy. And joy can only come from knowing Jesus, from, from a relationship with Christ Jesus. So what happens is we get under the law. We put ourselves under law. We do something we shouldn't do. Maybe we, again, don't read our Bible, or maybe we're unkind to somebody, or maybe we don't meet our standard in some way. Then we feel that guilt. Then that guilt creates bitterness in us that somehow we're not good enough. And so our joy is then stolen away from us. And that's what's happening to these Galatians, is their joy is being stolen away because they are putting themselves under the law that these Judaizers are saying is the way to go. They're saying you need to do this because that's the way that you will be a better Christian. That's the way that you will um, be able to really show the people around you that you love God, is by following what we tell you to do. But it's interesting because what it says is that they... We're doing it so that the Galatians would be zealous for them. Not zealous for God. They weren't trying to point them towards God. They were trying to point them towards themselves. And that's something in our lives. One, if our motivation for anything is to get people to look at us, we are wrong. Our, our whole sole purpose should be to point people towards Christ. And also, that's completely a ginormous sign of a false teacher if they want the attention on them. I mean, you know, 
I was thinking about asking you guys for a donation to the ministry of Betsy Small, but I thought maybe that might be a little bit, a little bit over the top. Um, just kidding. But really, that's kind of the things that, that happen, is that we want people to think about how good we are. And that's what these guys were saying. We're wanting. Look how good we are. But someone who's speaking the truth is not going to point you towards them. They're going to point you towards Christ. And a lot of times, that is going to create some tension. It's going to cause um, a problem sometimes in your relationship, especially if they feel like they're right in staying in their law or if they're right in doing the thing that is contrary to God, it's going to create some tension. If we look at um, Proverbs um, chapter 27, verse 6, it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And so what happens, sometimes as a true friend, as someone who um, is really wanting to disciple you or wanting to um, push you forward, they're going to have to say some things that might step on your toes a little bit. They're going to say some things that might make you uncomfortable or make you feel like um, they're coming after you. And our natural defense is to become defensive. We want to say, you're wrong. You don't know me. And suddenly we push that friend, who is a true friend, away. And that's what the Galatians were doing. They're saying, He's like, guys, I'm just trying to point you back to God. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I'm just giving you the truth. And they're saying, get away from us. These guys say that's not how it should be. These Judaizers don't say that's not how it should be. We're supposed to do something different. Um, and Paul says, they're trying to alienate you from us because we're pointing you to the truth. We're not pointing you towards ourselves. But the, the enemy multiplies kisses. The same time that they're feeling the wounds of Paul... You know, that, that hurts. You know, he's stepping on our toes a little bit. The enemy's coming up alongside him going, oh, you're okay. <laughs> you're doing a great job. And we take that and we grab a hold of it and we're like, yes, we're doing the right thing. You know, and that's wrong. That's not, that's not what, um, what God has in store for us. That's not what God wants for us. As Christians... We should not be afraid to tell other Christians when we see them stepping out of line, stepping away from God. In fact, that, that is part of our responsibility. And as Christians, when someone comes and tells you you're stepping out of line, you're stepping away from God, we need to receive that and take that and say, God changed me. Look to see if what they're telling us is biblical first. Use the measuring stick, as Tiffany said. And if what they're saying is biblical then we have to question why we are continuing to walk in that path. And then we need to step back and change and take that um, moment to allow God to change us and ask him to make us new instead of attacking that person and saying, well, you don't know what you're talking about, and then seeking someone who will tell us what we want to hear, which is, quite frankly, the much more fun way to go than the person that tells you what you want to hear. Um, so... That's really the section that I wanted to hit on. And, and, um, but if you go to the, the last portion of chapter 4, so we're getting close to the end here, it basically is this whole story talking about two women that gave birth to children, and we're back to Abraham. Abraham is the father of two sons. He's the father of, he of Ishmael and of Isaac. And Isaac was born of Sarah. Ishmael was born of the slave woman, Hagar, and he says, Paul says here, we have basically a choice to make. Are you going to choose to be born 
be in the relationship of the one who's born of the slave woman and stay a slave? Are you going to choose to be in the family line of the, of the one born of the free woman and be a free person? Because that's what Christ did. Christ is part of the free line. And if we're going to walk with Christ, we need to be in the, free, the line of freedom, the line of Isaac, which continues on and is literally in the lineage of Jesus. So we walk in that path. We walk in the path of um, the free woman, the, free, the, the child born of the free woman, and ultimately the child born down the line is Jesus that allows us to be free. And, and the last thought that I kind of want to leave you with, um, the Judaizers, as we know, came to Galatia to convince the church that they would be better Christians if they would follow the law. That, they, that that's the way to go. And to this day, that's still how we think. If we follow the law, if we do the right things, we're better Christians. And it creates a false sense of maturity. It allows us to think that we're more mature than the people around us. It allows us to think, like the Pharisees, that we are better than those people around us because we are doing all the right things. We're checking off all the boxes on our offering envelope. We are good people. But really, what it does is it puts us in another childhood. It puts us in a second childhood. It is the exact opposite of maturity. Because what it does is it says, look at me. Look how good I am. It's just like a little child. It's just like Rowan or Ryan look at me, daddy, as they go running and jump on a couch or something that is really cool to them. But, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. We're doing a, God, look at me. Look what I did. I did this great thing. That's not the relationship that God wants. God sent his son to adopt us into a family um, so that we can, we can never earn our forgiveness. We can never earn our way into heaven. We're doing the right things. And completing our checklist will not only put us, will not put us in a right relationship with God. A relationship with God only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only comes through accepting what he did on the cross for us. And accepting the grace that came through him. Um, the only way we should be serving is by serving through an outpouring of the love that Christ has given us. Not through any compulsion. Not because we feel like we have to do it. But because... We get to do it. We get to do it to show our love to our Father, not to show anything else to anyone else. And I'm so thankful for books like this and reminders like this because I think it's something that all of us need to remember that freedom in Christ Jesus is a great gift that has been given to us. And when we find ourselves putting ourselves under the law, it puts that burden on us and it puts things on us that... that God wanted us free from, and that's why he sent Jesus. And so when we struggle with this, as Tiffany said, our first response should be to turn back to God and say, help me, really, truly free me from this bondage, free me from the shackles that I have put back around my wrist. Or as Dave once said, the prison that was broke down around us, we keep picking up the blocks and stacking them back up so that we can be back in our little prison. And we don't want to live that life. Um, so I just pray that each one of us would, would grab a hold of that idea and run with it and know that God has so much more for us 
than what we would ever put for ourselves to do, especially for putting ourselves in the law. And uh, let's just go ahead and pray. Heavenly